as everyone is planning to get together with family and celebrate a great feast. Um, and by the way, if you don't have someone to gather with this Thanksgiving, please let me know at the end of the service today. We would love to rectify that before you go home. We can make it possible for you to have someone uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving with, so please let us know. Um, but when you arrive at the feast, there are going to be some of you that you will arrive at the feast carrying a whole bunch of food that you've made. Or everybody's coming to your house and they're going to be eating all of the food that you made. Some of you are going to arrive and you didn't make any food, but you at least purchased the plasticware or the napkins or you brought ice. And some of you are like me. You're going to show up with just your winning personality <laughs> and an appetite. That's how I show up for Thanksgiving, all right? Uh, yesterday at the cinnamon roll sale, uh, Beckham, Beckham asked me why I wasn't helping. And I said, well, I'm not, I can't bake. And he said, I can't bake, but I'm good at handing things. And I thought, I'm not even good at that because when I've tried to help out in the kitchen, I get shooed away, right? I'm the kind of help that isn't very helpful. I'm the kind of help that gets in the way. I'm the kind of help that can't even be sent to the store, really, without like a photo of the item and a, a, you know, a map of the grocery store, all right? There are some things I'm good at, all of those not the things I am good at. The idea of this sermon series is to introduce you to the helper. Jesus, when he was departing, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you helpless, but I am going to send the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And the helper is not a helper like me around Thanksgiving. The helper of the Holy Spirit is incredibly adequate to the job. Perhaps all of you have had a situation where someone showed up to help you, and by the end of it, you were really helping them more than they were helping, because, because they're better at it than you are. At our community group this past week, Ryan was talking about, I think it was Stephanie's grandfather, how he had asked him if he could help him years ago on a shed. And Ryan's saying, this guy's like, you know, he's in his 80s at this point. And he shows up, and I think he's just going to supervise or advise me on this work we're doing on this shed. And he said, he ended up working me into the ground, you know. That's how the Holy Spirit is. He doesn't just show up to be our co-pilot. He shows up to make it possible. He shows up to enable the work. It isn't that we need a little bit of help. It is that we need a lot of help. And the Holy Spirit shows up to provide that. When Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, he knows the great challenges that they face. And so he wants to make sure that they are plugged into the Holy Spirit so they have the help that they need. We're going to start reading in verse 15 in Ephesians chapter Five. I'm sorry, let's back that up. We'll start in verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Paul is writing to normal, everyday people from varied backgrounds and a whole lot of different ethnicities. But what they had in common is that all of them were people who were once in the dark, but were now in the light. And this morning as we gather, we gather as people from varied experiences, varied uh, roles and vocations, varied uh, backgrounds, but the really the only distinction that matters this morning is are you in the dark or are you in the light? Are you walking in darkness or are you walking 
in the light. And if you're here today and you're honest enough in your own heart to say, I think I'm probably still wandering in darkness, know that we are so glad you are here and we hope that we can help you find and know the light. We're glad that you're searching for the light. And we're not looking down upon you because the only difference between you and us is Jesus. It's not because we have it all together, but because Jesus did, because he has it all together. Now, if you're here and you're walking in the light because you are following Jesus, Paul says to you, walk as a child of the light. Walk as children of the light. Because, verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The presence of the Spirit, this helper, is going to produce in your life good things. Paul would call this the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, and next week Pastor Eric is going to preach to us all about that, so don't miss it. And Paul says, going on in verse 11, we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. How do you expose what is in the dark? You shed light on it. You put light on it. And as people of the light, it is our calling to shed that light into the darkness that is around us. Verse 14, Therefore he says, and he quotes Isaiah 6 here, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Friends, this is a major calling that God has placed on our lives that we, if we have been blessed to know Jesus and experience His light, that that light is to be shed, to be shared, to be spread around the world. And this is a tall order, so we cannot sleep. We must awake. We must have the help of the Spirit. There are unfruitful works of darkness that need to be exposed and need to be undone. There are things in this world that are shameful even to speak of, but our calling as believers is to name them and call them out and expose them and to live in such a way that our life is a source of light and witness in the lives of those around us. We're not called to live in the gray middle ground. We're called to live in the light, and that light shines in the darkness. And this isn't easy. So for this reason, we need the help of the Spirit. So it says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And I recognize that the word circumspectly is probably not one that you used in conversation this week, right? Let me, let me give you a, a couple other translations of this verse. The Christian Standard Bible says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk. The NLT says, be careful how you live. The ESV says, look carefully then how you walk. It's saying, walk with wisdom and caution. Be vigilant. Be aware. Look where you're going. Have you ever tripped, right? 
and you go, how did that happen? Right? Where did that come from? How, how did I trip over that? How did I trip over the piece of furniture that I walked by a thousand times, right? You just weren't aware. Your mind was elsewhere. You weren't walking, thinking about what was in your path. You were thinking about things that were ahead or things that were behind. You weren't thinking about the step you were taking in that moment. You were distracted or you were carrying things. You had something else on your mind. Paul is saying, don't allow yourself to become distracted because then you will stumble. Walk circumspectly. This life, this calling, it is not easy. So walk with wisdom. Walk aware and cautious. He goes on to say in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, be careful. Be careful how you walk and be careful how you use your time because these are evil days. And there's an adversary that's looking to trip us up. Eugene Peterson paraphrased this passage as, don't waste your time on useless work and mere busy work and the barren pursuits of darkness. Rather, watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. So do not live carelessly or unthinkingly. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, Pastor Dean, I thought this was going to be a Thanksgiving sermon. I thought this was going to be a sermon about giving thanks and praise. Right now, you're just talking about how bad the world is and how dark it is and how dangerous it is. Hang with me. We're going to get there. Um, But for now, let me say that Thanksgiving and gratitude are an incredibly wise use of our time, even in evil days. Now look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In community group, we ask the opening question, What's typically the high and the low from your Thanksgiving gatherings? And someone aptly said, family and family, right? (laughs) They're both the high and the low, right? Some of you are nodding like, yep, I I can relate to that, right? And some of you are headed to Thanksgiving gatherings that they might be difficult. You might be dreading it a little bit because there are family members that will be there that are going to be difficult to be around. It can be hard. And oftentimes people deal with this difficulty by drinking. I'm going to be around family. I'm going to have to start drinking early in the morning on Thanksgiving. And the reason is because alcohol is a depressant. And that means it depresses your awareness. It depresses your your keenness. It makes you a little less sensitive to everything that's going going on. And you're thinking, okay, it'll be easier to be around uncle so-and-so if I'm not quite as aware as I normally am. For some people, the idea of walking into a family gathering sober is terrifying. For this reason, many people who have found sobriety through the year often relapse during the holidays because of this. In this passage... 
we're told that we need to be on a heightened awareness, that we need to be walking circumspectly, which means to know what is around us, to be on watch, to be on guard. That instead of depressing our awareness or hindering our awareness or softening our senses, rather we need to heighten them. Now, I'm not saying that you need to take uppers before Thanksgiving dinner, okay? I'm not recommending speed before Thanksgiving gathering so you can be on high alert and super, super anxious. Rather, what I'm saying is that we need the Spirit to show us the big picture, the real picture, to help us see what is really going on. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, rather be filled with the Spirit. Don't depress your senses so that the world is more tolerable, but rather be filled with the Spirit so that you're able to see the big picture and have a better perspective. There's a really good example of this in the Old Testament. I heard Tim Keller use this to explain Ephesians 5, and it's always stuck with me. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's the story of this king who's coming to wage war against Israel. And as he's Waiting to ambush Israel, Israel keeps dodging his advances and his ambushes. And the king just can't believe that Israel seems to always know their next move. And so he accuses his soldiers of being spies. Which one of you is telling the Israelites what we're doing? And his men say, it's not us. Don't you know that they have a prophet? And the prophet is telling the king of Israel everything that we're going to do. And so this enemy king says, well, let's go capture the prophet. That prophet is Elijah. And so Elijah comes out of his dwelling one morning with his servant Gehazi. And when they come out, they are surrounded with this enemy army. And Gehazi is freaking out. What are we going to do? We are surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elijah prays a simple prayer. God, open his eyes. Now, in that moment, he can see that he is surrounded And Elijah says, help him see more. And what happens is that Gehazi's eyes are opened to, yes, there are enemies all around us, but around all of those enemies is the host of angel armies. Around all of those enemies is a heavenly host. We are not outnumbered. They are. Now, in that moment, Elijah could have said, hey, man, calm down. Take this. Hey, man, calm down. Have a drink. But instead of telling him to forget his troubles or to ignore his problems, rather he says, God, help him to see his real situation. Keller pointed out that the world's answer to these types of situations is denial or a substance. But God's answer is perspective. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that was first used in a small pamphlet and was later included in the book God in the Dock. And Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. Because Christianity and the calling of Jesus in the New Testament is not for us to wall ourselves out from the situation in the world, 
It's for us to be very aware of what's going on around us. But as a Christian, when we face this darkness, we have the Spirit helping us to have joy in spite of it. Not in denial of it, but in the face of it. As a Christian, I'm called to face the darkness, to expose it, to shed light upon the darkness, to overcome it, to work against it. As a Christian, I'm called to walk in enemy territory. I'm part of a resistance movement, but I'm a part of a resistance that is on the winning side. I am not outnumbered. The enemy is outnumbered. I am not outgunned. The enemy is outgunned. And I do not have joy and gratitude and thanksgiving because I'm oblivious to all the hardships and difficulties and adversities that are outside my door. Rather, I can have joy and thanksgiving in spite of those enemies that are outside my door because I know the ones behind them. I know that God is there. Verse 14 says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. Brothers and sisters, we can celebrate this Thanksgiving not asleep on the hardships that are in the world, not uh, uh, dead to the fact of everything that is going on around us, but rather we can rejoice, aware of all of it, but thankful because Christ has given us light. I'm often perplexed by Christians who are despondent because of the current state of the world. As believers, we read in the scripture that the world is ending, that it is full of darkness and decay and chaos. We know that it will only be made right when Christ returns. It should not surprise us when unbelievers act as unbelievers, when doers of evil do evil. We know that we live in an age of the writhing of the snake whose head has been cut off. So let us not be surprised by evil, but let us rather rejoice in knowing that God is overcoming all evil. Now let me add a caveat here. This passage calls us to resistance against evil, and it calls us to gratitude and praise, but this passage does not ban grief. This passage does not ban mourning. Scripture makes it clear that there is a time for singing and dancing, and there is a time to weep. So do not feel guilty if this Thanksgiving you are grieving because you're facing it without someone that you love. Do not feel guilty if you face this Thanksgiving with grief because someone you care about is very sick. We can resist evil and be grateful, but also mourn our losses and cry and weep. Paul would say in the Thessalonians letter to give thanks in everything. Here he would say to give thanks always for all things. That doesn't mean that we have to be thankful for evil and chaos and heartache. We just find Christ in that chaos. We need the help of the Spirit in these evil days. And it's only with the help of the Spirit that we can be thankful in days as evil as these. This passage doesn't call us to give thanks, acting as if everything is amazing. 
this passage calls us to give thanks in the middle of evil days. This passage calls us to give thanks right after warning us about the evil that is around us. Why do we need the Spirit? We need the Spirit to help us be thankful in the face of evil. The passage calls us to expose the works of darkness by walking in the light. And one of the ways we do that is by being thankful in the middle of evil and dark days. See, when we walk in the light, it exposes the darkness. When we're joyful and peaceful, even in the face of adversity, when we're like Elijah who says to his servant, it's okay. When we're like Jesus who's sleeping in the boat while there's a storm raging about him and the disciples saying, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? When we are like Elijah and Jesus in these moments, we are walking in the light. And we're showing light to the darkness. And this isn't natural. And it isn't just for the sake of strategy. Rather, it's because the byproduct of the Spirit's help is praise. You see, it's possible to be thankful without the Spirit. There will be many people who take a moment this week to be grateful and to share gratitude who do not know the Spirit. It's possible to be thankful without the Spirit, but it is not possible to have the Spirit and not also have thanksgiving and gratitude and praise. Because when the Spirit comes into our lives, He produces gratitude. What we see in this passage is that when we're filled with the Spirit, a melody is made in our hearts. A melody is made. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know much about music. So when Ryan called this morning and said that they weren't going to be able to make it, there was no like, maybe Daniel can lead the music. That's just not happening. I don't know much about music, but I once heard that the melody is the backbone of a song. It gives it structure. And the harmony is built on top of that melody, gives it shape, it's stacked on top of it. When the Spirit is present in our lives, the backbone of a song is made. A melody is made in our hearts. And listen, I can't play a melody on a piano or a guitar. I can't even sing a melody or a harmony correctly, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't make a melody in my heart. And when I sing with you on Sunday mornings and our worship gatherings, it's not because I am so gifted and skilled it's because the Holy Spirit is making a melody in my heart. And I wish that he could make it sound a little bit better when it came out of my mouth. But even when it's off tune or out of rhythm, or even if I mess up the words, 
the melody that the Spirit makes in my heart remains powerful and cohesive and beautiful. And one of the joys of heaven is that in heaven, my voice is going to match the melody that's in my heart. That that skill and that ability is going to be perfected. And this morning, if you have the Spirit present in your life, He makes a melody in your heart. When you're filled with the Spirit, you naturally are grateful and thankful, and you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God the Father. How does the Spirit do this? Well, the key is in what Pastor Dustin preached to us about last week. The Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus and revealing to us who Jesus is. The Spirit produces a song in our heart and causes us to be full of gratitude toward God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that we end a lot of prayers in Jesus' name, amen? And the reason for that is, is me saying a prayer, even though I'm a pastor, it doesn't warrant being heard in heaven. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I don't deserve to have my prayers heard in heaven. You know, there are a lot of things I would love to say to the people in the Oval Office. I don't have that access haven't earned it. I don't, I don't deserve to have access to the throne room of heaven, but I have it because of Jesus. And so when I pray, I'm praying in Jesus's name. I'm praying based on what he has done and what he has accomplished. I'm praying because he has given me that access. I didn't earn it. He gave it to me. And our thanksgiving, our praise, our singing is to God the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit, but only possible because of the name of Jesus Christ. Only possible because He hung on a cross and took the sin that I have committed and gave me the righteousness that is His. It's all because of Jesus. And so how, how can we be grateful in the face of evil days? Because we remember what Jesus has done for us. It's not just, man, we, we got a lot of great stuff. It's not, man, the food is going to be amazing this week. Man, we're so fortunate to live in America, to be born in the land of the free. We're so fortunate to have all these things. We're so fortunate to have clothes and shelter. No. Those are all great. But our hearts are thankful in the face of having none of that. Because if even if all of that was taken away, we still have Jesus. In 1997... Reeve Lindbergh, who was the daughter of Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh, the first person to fly across the ocean in his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, 
on the 70th anniversary of that historic solo flight in the spirit of St. Louis across the Atlantic, Leave Reeve Lindbergh and her son Ben were invited uh, to the museum, the Air and Space Museum, where the spirit of St. Louis hangs. And you can see it today. And she was going to give a, a speech on the 70th anniversary of her father's flight. But before the speech, before the ceremony, the museum invited she and her son to get there a little early, and they had a cherry picker. They had the type of bucket truck that, um, you know, you can get in and reach up to something high, trim some limbs, replace a high light pole, light bulb, something along those lines. So Reeve and her son Ben, they get in this cherry picker, and they raise them up to the level of the Spirit of St. Louis hanging there in the rafters. And she's looking at the plane that her father flew across the Atlantic by himself. And she is close enough, she can reach out and she can grab the handle to the plane, the handle that her dad grabbed a thousand times, getting in and out of that plane, making all those incredible flights. And she's just overcome. And she says, Ben, isn't this amazing? And Ben's a little boy, and he says, yeah, Mom, I've never been in a cherry picker before. This is great. <laughs> For him, the, the bucket truck was the incredible thing. He hadn't even noticed the spirit of St. Louis. Listen, this week, we could give thanks for food, and shelter, and clothing, and America, and football, and family, and turkey, and stuffing, and all that. And it's all good. And we're told in this passage that we should give thanks for all of it. But let's not miss the most important reason that we get to be grateful. And that our thanksgiving and praise gets to be heard in the halls of heaven. That this week when we say thank you God, God will hear that and it will echo in the throne room of heaven. Not because of anything that we have done, but because Jesus gives us access. Because it goes in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit helps us give thanks because the Spirit points us to what Jesus has done for us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.